Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Coming up in just a bit, is there a fire sale coming to the Denver Broncos? Could Vaughn Miller, Emmanuel Sanders, Chris Harris, could they be on the market? Also, chance of Teddy. Teddy Bridgewater was outstanding, not just a game manager on Sunday. And also, how long can Dan Quinn hang around Atlanta? Will he soon join Mr. Gruden in the unemployment line? That was ugly against the Texans. So such a disaster, 53 Houston points on Sunday. I'm Dave Briggs, home of Connecticut, Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. And Ross Tucker got a terrific tweet up there yesterday that made my Sunday ahead of NFL games. Ross, there was Flip Cup happening in Philly. Tell me more. Yeah, well, I I have several buddies that go to the Eagles games and – while I can't discuss the commentary that came along <laughs> with the picture that you show, uh, because <laughs> it was uh, NSFW, uh, oh. as some of you might be watching us at work. <laughs> that came from the Eagles game in the parking lot, Flip Cup happening, which is a victory for Dave Briggs and Team Flip Cup. We've discussed this at length several times on this program. There is no real question about it. Flip Cup is the superior drinking game to Ross Tucker's beer pong. I think his tweet showing Flip Cup happening at the tailgate for the Eagles game really goes, drives my point home. It's game over. Flip Cup's the superior game played there with the Jets and Eagles. Now, If that was the best thing that happened with the New York Jets, the worst thing was clearly their head coach, Adam Gase. Ahead of the Jets-Eagles game, it was reported that Mr. Gase, well, instead of giving Luke Falk the reps all week long, he gave the first team reps to somebody else, to Sam Darnold, who, of course, as you all know, has mono and is trying to work his way back from mono It was not expected by anyone we had talked to that he would play. Nonetheless, he gets the first team snaps most of the week. Young and inexperienced Luke Falk does not until Friday. A debacle of Adam Gase's making, and the game just reflected that. It was ugly. The Eagles just pounded on this New York Jets offensive line to the tune of 10, count them, 10 sacks. It was like... Buddy Ryan's gangrene unit, two touchdowns for the Eagles defense to go with those 10 sacks. Brandon Graham led the way with three of them. By the way, Fletcher Cox still does not have a sack for the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're not yet registered in that column, but the way that defensive front is playing, maybe they don't need the sacks from him because they certainly woke him up. Uh, So Carson Wentz in this game was just, I, I think we'll call it, Okay, 17 of 29, 189 yards and a touchdown, 31 to 6 the final. Eagles certainly feel better 
about their pass rush than they did a week ago. The other team, though, that all eyes are always on in that division, of course, is the Dallas Cowboys. And that easily could have qualified as our biggest surprise of the weekend if Kansas City didn't end up losing to the Colts. Because what happened to the Dallas Cowboys, at least early in this football game, shocked the football world. Yes, we saw them really stink it up last week with New Orleans, not score a touchdown. But this one, at home, you thought they'd right the ship. You thought Kellen Moore, the 31-year-old offensive coordinator, would turn things around for this offense. No. Early on in this game, I think a huge play was Dak Prescott striking Amari Cooper. Perfect pass off Cooper's hands. It was intercepted. And that really was indicative of where this day was headed for Dak Prescott, who still doesn't have that contract done. And now you start to wonder if we talked about him earning more money with each and every start, those first three. Well, who did they beat really in those first three? And you have to ask yourself how important wins over the Giants, the Redskins, and the Dolphins. Who really cares about those three wins when you look at their last two losses, one being to Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints, great defensive effort by New Orleans, but then this one to Green Bay, 34-24, the final, but that's a little deceiving. The lead in this game was 31-3. Green Bay was running all over and straight through this Dallas defense. Let's listen to Dak, though, talk about some of the interceptions, and in particular, I think we have Amari Cooper as well on the ball that he dropped. Listen to the Cowboys. As a quarterback and the leader, after Amari has that kind of drop, um, what do you what do you say to him? Or I mean, I could have put the ball two two more inches in front of him, uh, or whatever it is. Uh, that's a great player. I mean, sure he had that drop, and but you go back and you look look at the rest of the game, the plays he's making, the catches he's making, catches that double move and makes two guys miss on the sideline. Uh, you, you tell him let it go, let it go, so he can come back and do exactly what he just did. Um, and we have those type of players that we're not going to sit there and hound on on one mistake because we know that they're, they're very prideful in that and that they're going to look in the mirror and blame themselves first before they say, hey, Dak, do that a little bit behind me. Uh, so, um, yeah, simply that right there. Tap, tap him on the back and say, let's go. You'll put it behind you, as he did. Dak Prescott throws for 463 yards and a loss, but the three interceptions really were the difference in that game. The early one off Amari's hands really hurt this team's momentum. Now, Cooper had a spectacular game, 226 yards and a touchdown, though you can't help but wonder how this game could have played out differently had he caught that pass, had they gotten three or perhaps seven. Let's listen to the owner, Jerry Jones. He's talking about the thing we just reflected on. Three wins, Giants, Redskins, Dolphins, the JV squad. So how important are those versus their losses? Here's Jerry Jones. But I think it tells you right where you are. You do well against teams that are, are uh, getting it together. And uh, we played two that... Uh, uh, have it together, together better. They're three-one teams. I think what you see is what you get here. We've got uh, we've got some work to do to be where we want to go this year. They've got a long way to go. You just wonder if this is impacting at all the contract negotiations. Do they pump the brakes a little bit? At least this time, unlike last week, Kellen Moore did adjust. 
Last weekend, there was no adjustments from he nor Jason Garrett once New Orleans had the right game plan to stop them, to slow them down. But the one thing they can't get going right now is Zeke Elliott. 12 carries, 62 yards. He does find his way into the end zone. At the end of the day, 5.2 yards a carry. you got to be happy with that, but not the ground game Zeke nor the Cowboys expect. Here's Zeke. I mean, at the end of the day, we got to look in the mirror as a team and, and realize that we shot ourselves in the foot too many times. Uh, it wasn't the refs. I mean, they weren't perfect. I mean, they weren't great, but I mean, we got to look in the mirror and see that there was a lot of things that we could have done to, or a fix that we could have done to win that ball game and not just look to blame the refs. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys look a lot differently today than they did two weeks ago. They were the Super Bowl favorite in the NFC. That is certainly not the case on this Monday morning. And the story in this game was not Zeke, but of course, Aaron Jones. Four rushing touchdowns, tying a franchise record. Aaron Jones, 182 total yards, an absolute beast. And he had had a real quiet start. And one of the real concerns for this Green Bay team, and of course the fantasy football community, was that Aaron Jones just hadn't really been established, hadn't shown the type of pop that we had become accustomed to, and didn't look himself. And the story was that Rodgers was just fine. The way Aaron Jones played, they didn't need Aaron Rodgers to be spectacular. And that has to be frightening for everyone else in the NFC. When they can put up 34 points in Dallas and have Aaron Rodgers play, and again, in my estimation, just okay. Certainly not great Aaron Rodgers, not the guy that you become accustomed to. In this game, most yards ever in a Packers-Cowboys game, 902 yards 900 plus yards in a Packers Cowboys game. That is hard to fathom. It'll be interesting to find out when we talk to the, our friends down there in Dallas. Do they feel better about the Cowboys knowing that the offense can respond in the second half or more concerned about the way that defensive line was absolutely gashed? Now, you're playing without Tyron Smith. They will get him back as good an offensive lineman as there is in the league. And certainly Dak Prescott needs him to be healthy. But Dallas puts up 563 yards. So there's certainly some things to feel good about if you're Dallas. But three and two right now, the three wins look like they mean absolutely nothing. And the relationship on the flip side between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers looks like it is starting to get comfortable, starting to figure things out starting to lean on that defense. They certainly need Devontae Adams back, though. There was no real wide receivers established in this game. It was all going through Aaron Jones. Devontae Adams, that turf toe issue, no word yet on how long he'll be out. But Rodgers certainly misses his top wide receiver. That is not a real deep unit. As for the team that, well, beat Dallas last week and the New Orleans Saints and Teddy Bridgewater, Chance of Teddy, Teddy broke out yesterday. And this is the guy that we remember being hyped out of Louisville. The electric athlete, 26 of 34, 314 yards, four touchdowns for Teddy Bridgewater, who I admit I was wrong on Teddy Bridgewater. I thought this guy was a game manager from day one that I thought his peak came a couple of years ago before the serious injury. Maybe it's just taken him some time to get comfortable and to get confident. And the way he hooked up with Michael Thomas, you got to believe 
They're going to be just fine. So Drew Brees, take it easy, my friend. Take your time getting healthy and getting back to the Saints. Michael Thomas, 11 catches, 182 yards and two touchdowns. Saints win 31-24, looking like they're in great shape, not just to weather the storm without Drew Brees, but to excel far beyond anyone's expectations. Jameis Winston on the other side of this. Uh, a rough start, did rebound a little bit, 15-27. The stunner here, zero catches for Mike Evans. No catches. It looks like Chris Godwin has become the man for Tampa. Seven, 125, two touchdown catches. He has four touchdown catches in two weeks. The Buccaneers' passing offense is coming along. No running game. It looks like Bruce Arians is really starting to get Jameis Winston at least up that mountain, maybe not over the top, but taking away a lot of those mistakes. I know he had an interception called back yesterday, but but he's coming. He's coming along. Jameis Winston might just get a deal done after all. All right, we're going to talk to our friend Craig Hoffman ahead about what was the final straw? Why did they have to fire Jay Gruden at this point? Why call the guy at 5 o'clock in the morning to fire him? Can you at least let a brother sleep in or do it last night? And who might be some names out there on the horizon? The latest from the Redskins. And by the way, the Nationals, can they stay alive against the Dodgers tonight? There's four Major League Baseball divisional playoff games today starting at 1. You are all set leading up to Monday Night Football, Niners and the Browns. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Come back with Craig Hoffman on the other side. Washington Redskins are looking for a new head coach again. Maybe they should use ZipRecruiter because hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company, and she knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. Results like that, no wonder. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter Get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. This exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And yet again, the Washington Redskins are hiring a new head coach. Bill Callahan apparently will fill in in the interim they're off to an 0-5 start, worst start since 2001. Let's talk about it with our friend Craig Hoffman from 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Craig, good to see you. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. How cold is it, bro, to call a guy in to a 5 a.m. meeting to fire him? Yeah, it's, uh, it's cold, but it's also apparently standard operating procedure. I guess that's how they do these things in the NFL. It's how they do them in Washington. Uh, apparently when Jay got to the building, according to Les Carpenter of the Washington Post, Dan and Bruce were sitting there waiting on him, which has to suck. You just, I don't know, 
If you guys have ever had meetings like that, but when you walk in and you see the people that are definitely going to fire you, that's not very fun. And I'd imagine it's way less fun at 5 a.m. Craig, it seemed like this was inevitable. I mean, when you have what happened with Chris Thompson after the game getting emotional and even the comments from Jay Gruden about if my key card still works, it kind of felt like something happened after the game where they knew this was coming. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing after the game that was different than most usual after the game, you know, sessions is that Dan and Bruce left immediately. Um, Normally they stay in the owner's box sometimes very, very late uh, at night or into the next morning. And instead they bounced immediately, immediately got in their cars, went back to Redskins Park uh, and presumably made the decision there. I guess they decided to sleep on it and let Jay know in the morning. But, yeah, I, there wasn't anything immediately that happened after the game. I'd imagine Jay probably got the sense that was not good when his bosses, who normally stick around, did not. I think for Chris, it was just the overwhelming emotion of being 0-5 combined with knowing that Jay was likely to get fired, and, and that's a tight relationship between those two. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, you know, it, it was weird because, you know, I talked to someone last night who told me, I think he's safe. You know, I think it's it's a situation where, you know, he Bruce has been fairly normal. But also the, the thing he told me, the guy that I talked to said, Bruce is really good at keeping things tight to the vest. And this was obviously held tight. Um, I mean, not super tight. We all know this is possible at 0-5. It's always possible. But, you know, it started to maybe leak out a little bit. But uh, even in the building, there was uncertainty until this morning when obviously the plug was pulled. Yeah, that obit had been written for several weeks. 0-5, worst start since 2001. Clearly that was the last straw. But how much did the quarterback situation play in here? It just never seemed like Jay Gruden embraced uh, Dwayne Haskins as the next guy. Yeah, I mean, that's a really tough one because Jay's doing the best thing for Dwayne, which is letting him learn from other people. Um, but that clearly the narrative around it was really unhealthy. Um, I do honestly believe that Jay was, you know, and and in fact, he had told some people this, this week, like if I really didn't like the kid, I'd play him. I mean, it was, it was really bad against the giants. It's been really bad in practice and it, you know, it gets to a point where you just have to deal with it being really bad and, and hope that him playing and getting experience is best for his development. But the, the narrative around Dwayne, I think was unhealthier than the 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 actual reality around Dwayne but at some point the narrative seeps in the narrative affects a young kid the narrative affects the franchise and so I definitely think that had something to do with it I don't know if I'm Jay if I would have handled it any differently other than maybe the way that he talked about it sometimes I think that wasn't always great I think he could have been a little more nurturing publicly of Dwayne Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I I think Jay very much looked at it as this is professional football you know, he, he's getting a paycheck. I know he's young, he's a rookie, he's a kid, whatever, but like, this is professional football. We treat people like adults and it is what it is. And that, that, you know, I, I don't think was necessarily the best strategy here, uh, to, to deal with a young kid who, who needs to be brought along and, um, is obviously the future of the franchise should things go right. So, Craig, we talked to you before about how rare this is for Daniel Snyder to fire someone in season. Hadn't happened since North Turner. So I guess I'm still trying to figure out, like, why now? What changed? 
I mean, it's one of the best questions that we have or one of the top questions we have for Bruce Allen today at 1 p.m. Uh, when we get to speak to him because, I, I mean, I don't know. What, what good does this do? Um, I think that they had a style of football they wanted to play. They wanted to be a run-heavy team that, you know, their defense was the dominant unit, and they obviously haven't played that style. I think Bill Callahan as the interim is more likely to play that style, but I don't think that's a good idea. Their run game stinks. They can't move anybody on the line of scrimmage. Um, so that's, that's TBD on, on that. And, uh, but I don't think that's the reason you make the change either. I think it's just, it, you get to the point where you're zero and five and there's a lot of negativity and at some point something has to change to try to hit a little bit of a fresh and reset button on your franchise. And this was the button they felt like was appropriate. I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily the right move, um, in that, you know, the passing game where Jay, the things that Jay had the most control over were probably the best parts of this team so far this season, but an zero and five, like congratulations on that it's not really worth a whole lot so i mean it's why now because they're 0 and 5 and it just felt like it was time to move on they were hopeless in a, in a fourth straight game uh but beyond that it's, it's a question that bruce allen needs to answer at one o'clock today when we inevitably ask him yeah that should be interesting optics there we've known this could happen uh you've known that we've talked about it for several weeks in this program have there been any names that have been at least whispered about that that the Redskins could be uh, looking at, could be talking to. Ross and I earlier talked about Lincoln Riley down there at Oklahoma, who I will beg and plead with to stay there in Norman. What are you hearing? Yeah, that's definitely one of the names that I think is on the top of everyone's mind. Um, you know, Dan is certainly willing to pay. They've gone the college route before, but I don't think it's fair to just go, Oh, well that was a failure. You shouldn't do that again. I don't think anybody really thought Steve Spurrier had it in him to succeed in the NFL. The, uh, the let's say lax atmosphere that Spurrier was famous for not exactly great with professionals doesn't work at this level. Uh, and obviously the, the lack of care he had for the defensive side of the ball at all, uh, was, 10 steps beyond Jay and Jay wasn't super involved on the defensive side. So I think that you need, like you could go to an urban Meyer, a Lincoln Riley type uh, of guy. That's a culture setter. That was a college coach that would be different than when you tried the college route with Spurrier. Um, that said, I don't think urban would come out of retirement for this job. Um, I don't know that they'll be able to lure Lincoln Riley like Dan's willing to pay, but so are the folks in Norman. Um, and yeah. I don't think anybody with options is going to take this job. That's the hard part. So you start looking at coordinators in-house. You have Kevin O'Connell. Uh, you have a little bit of an audition for him for the next couple of months. How he with you know, probably a little bit more responsibility in some elevated roles as a play caller. Uh, how does he handle that? And it, does he show himself as someone who could be a head coach in this league right now? Um, he's a guy who I think is a future head coach. And obviously he's got to decide if he wants that job or is he as a guy who's seen other places not just come up through the Redskins organization. Does he want his maybe one and only head coaching job to be in this organization? It wouldn't surprise me if he's like, you know what? I'm going to go be an OC somewhere for another year. And then, you know, maybe takes a head coaching job somewhere else with better ownership or whatever. Um, Eric Bieniemy, obviously uh, the offensive coordinator in Kansas city is a name that's going to come up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they wind up going defensively, like you look at guys like Matt Eberflus in Indianapolis and that's, that's purely speculation. Everything I've heard is, is leaning towards offense and that makes sense with Haskins in the building. Um, but you know, you look at some of the, the guys who have really turned franchises around or played a part, uh, under head coaches who have, and 
you know, a guy like Eberflus is interesting. They've really struggled against him uh, when he was defensive coach in Dallas, and they they got worked by Indy last year when they played him. So I think there's a lot of respect there. But um, I think the bigger question for all that, and kind of almost what makes all of that moot, is none of this matters if Allen isn't gone. You know, I, to see Bruce Allen make another head coaching hire would be. I mean, I think that would send the city into a riot. And if he's the one making the call, like that's one set of things. And then, you know, if not, then they got to hire that guy first. And whoever is, is making that hire, uh, or obviously Dan makes that hire, and then that person gets to hire a head coach. And who knows what direction that, that person could want. So, Craig, uh, they're having a press conference today. I saw your tweet earlier this morning before they announced that about the fact that if they don't have a press conference after this, it would be unacceptable. For our listeners and viewers at radio.com slash home and on the radio.com app, can you just explain, number one, how rare this is, and then number two, why it's so important in your mind? Yeah, for sure. Um, It's rare because Bruce Allen has not addressed reporters at the podium at their team headquarters since 2015, which was when they hired Scott McLuhan uh, a few months later. Um, Bruce infamously said, oh, but we're winning off the field in a rather contentious and cantankerous press conference. Uh, That was the last time he spoke to the press. Uh, He has done smaller media gatherings uh, for the first time uh, this year at the Senior Bowl and at the Combine, but still that is a much smaller gathering, um, and, and it's just not the same as, as doing it at your team facility where all media has a chance to be there, um, and it's it's a different atmosphere. It's, it's a different type of thing. He's done some one-on-one interviews, um, but ultimately it comes down to this, Ross. It's about accountability. You know, Bruce Allen is the decision-maker on this team. He is the decision maker for this franchise. He needs to answer the questions about what is happening with this franchise. And his consistent refusal to do so is not about, you know, some self-serving thing with us as media members. It's about the fans. The fans want answers. The fans demand answers. And it's our job to get them. And if we can't talk to these people that make the decisions, then that's a disservice to the fans. It is a slap in the face of the fans to be not accountable for what you are doing to their beloved franchise. And so that is why Bruce stepping to the podium today after making a head coaching decision had to happen. There's a dozen other decisions that he has made that he has not yet answered for. And I can guarantee you he will be asked about as many of them as we can possibly fit in. Um, But it's simply accountability to a, a dwindling fan base, frankly, that wants to know what the hell has happened to their football team. It's interesting because they were actually in this football game on Sunday against the New England Patriots. Uh, I mean, it was 12-7 at the half. It felt like a win was actually a possibility at some point yesterday. Um, Obviously, in the end, it was 33-7 and it was ugly, but there's good news on the horizon. You could, in fact, get a win. You go to Miami this week, and we're talking with Craig Hoffman, 106.7 The Fan in D.C., about the Jay Gruden situation. You go to Miami. That is a winnable football game, if there ever was one, for the Washington Redskins. And I can't help but think maybe it's helpful to go on the road for this team the way it looked and sounded yesterday. Maybe you can correct us. It felt like a Patriots home game in D.C. Oh, no, it was a Patriots home game in D.C. It was not as bad as I've ever seen it, 
but that has everything to do with how bad it's been before. Um, the only other game I've seen that was that bad was the Philly game week 17 last year, which was a solid green out in FedEx field. Um, yesterday it was also helped by the fact that there were so many different Tom Brady jerseys that it wasn't one solid color of Patriots jerseys that was filling the uh, stands at FedEx field. But Tom Brady, every time he did anything, got a hero's, you know, a hero's welcome, a hero's call or whatever. Um, there were Brady chants at multiple points in the game that were loud. Um, and it was, man, it was, it was something else to, to witness. Um, but it's also kind of the norm at this point, And that's, that's part of the problem with this organization and, and the fan base. All right, thought, thought Ross was going to chime in here. I uh, want to ask you about the Nationals. Um, it looks like this no-bullpen strategy not working out so well. Spectacular three starters, but when one of those starters gets thrown into the bullpen in a situation last night, I know you were there. Does it feel like the series between the Nats and Dodgers is over? No, definitely not, um, because they have the you know two of the – 10 best pitchers in baseball on the hill the next two days. You know, they have Max Scherzer going tonight and Steven Strasburg going tomorrow. And, you know, if you really need him, you could figure out Strasburg tonight and then just, I don't know, I guess you throw Corbin again for a couple innings uh, in game five. But, um, you know, Scherzer on the hill tonight has got to be an ace. And then you trust that Strasburg can do his thing in game five. And so um, really it comes down to tonight. And can you get to, you know, the seventh inning? And they have two relievers that are worth anything and Daniel Hudson and, and Sean Doolittle. Just if you can get Scherzer to get to there, then uh, I think you're in good shape. If not, then, yeah, you, you start relying on guys like Wander Suero and you see what happens last night. Should be interesting. Four playoff games tonight, four divisional games starting at 1 o'clock. Outstanding day of baseball ahead. But for Craig Hoffman, a long day over there at the Redskins facility. Let us know how that press conference, 1 o'clock Eastern time, Bruce Allen, should have a few questions from you guys in the media. Appreciate you being with us. You got it, man. Have a great rest of the show. All right. I appreciate it. That's good stuff there from Craig Hoffman, 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Uh, all right, Russell, you back with us? I am. You are back with us. Okay, so the way this has gone down, um, it doesn't sound like from Craig Hoffman's read that many people, in, in his words, no one with options, would want that job. How do the Redskins keep Bruce Allen and let him hire whomever that next head coach is? Yeah, I, I don't really buy that, Dave. Um, I mean, I know people say that, but the reality is there's only 32 of them. This is also still, you know, the Washington Redskins. It's in that media market. It's in the NFC East. They do have uh, unlimited resources. They do have a storied franchise. And like I said earlier, I think Daniel Snyder can be very, very persuasive. I don't know who it will be, but I think that there will be people that take the job. Look, you can say people have options. That sounds good until you're offered $10 million a year to be an NFL head coach. <laughs> and then you get that offer, and a lot of people will take it. I mean, I can tell you right now, Dave. I am ready and willing to be the next head coach of the Washington Redskins. I will do I do have options. I could keep doing home and home on the radio.com app, radio.com slash home, and I love it. I've got lots of options, but if offered the Redskins head coaching job for 10 million a year, 
I would take it. I, I, I will see. We'll see um, who those names are. Yes, they're going to find a capable head coach, but can you attract, if it is an Urban Meyer, if it is a Lincoln Riley, I can't imagine those guys would want to get involved in this situation. But it does come down to, do you want Bruce Allen making that decision? I want to ask you about another front office decision. And it has to do with my Denver Broncos, who were 0-4 yesterday and managed to get a win in San Diego, Vic Fangio's first win. But the question was, ahead of the game, reports had leaked out that there was a possible fire sale on the way for the Denver Broncos if, in fact, they lost again. That Chris Harris could be on the market. That Emmanuel Sanders could be on the market. And conflicting reports on whether or not Von Miller would be on the market. Hard to really justify why you would trade away Von Miller still very much in his peak and signed to a long-term contract. Why allow for those types of rumors to get out ahead of a game? Can it motivate a team? You could argue maybe it did. And they went out there and beat San Diego. Yeah, evidently. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's just some truth to it. Maybe if they had lost and it was a lost season, they were going to consider those things. I mean, at this point, I, I think all of those things seem like a possibility. I'm not exactly sure where they came from. My guess is some people probably were calling the Broncos and maybe John Elway felt like they needed to rattle some cages a little bit or stir things up to get them to play better. Whatever they did, Dave, it worked because they played awesome, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the touchdown by the Chargers was a Desmond King punt return. I mean, they... The Chargers could do very little other than throw checkdowns to Austin Eckler against those Broncos defense, uh, against the Broncos defense. It was very, very impressive. And I love your guy, Phillip Lindsay. He's just fun to watch. And I think, <laughs> frankly, Flacco has been better than I think maybe the perception is. He hasn't yeah. been a top 15 quarterback in the NFL, but he's been okay. Yeah, he, he has managed that team okay. And they easily could have... Uh, two more wins. That team should be three and two. They beat the Bears. Bad roughing call. They had the Jaguars tied down and beat. So that could easily be a three and two football team. Lindsey goes for 114 yards on just 15 carries. Turnovers was the difference in this 2013 Broncos win. Three turn turnovers for San Diego, two of them inside the five. And the one by Austin Eckler fumbling as he's about to go into the end zone was really the difference in the game. We should mention Melvin Gordon returned to action. 12 carries, 31 yards, clearly not back to playing the way he, uh, the way we've come to expect. And how about Austin Eckler? If it weren't for that fumble, boy, would this be a career game for him. 15 catches for Austin Eckler out of the backfield. The Broncos finally get a win. But everybody in that division is, of course, chasing the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, who lost on Sunday to the Colts, arguably the biggest shocker on a surprising NFL Sunday. After a real quick break, we're going to bring in Carrington Harrison of Sports Radio 610 in KC to talk about that injured ankle of Patrick Mahomes. How big a deal is it? Is the playbook on beating the Chiefs finally out there? We're back after a real quick one-minute break. The Kansas City Chiefs under Patrick Mahomes had never scored less than 26 points until Sunday. They scored 13 in a 19-13 loss to the Colts. A shocker 
on a shocking NFL Sunday. Let's talk about it with our friend Carrington Harrison, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Carrington, good to see you, my friend. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker. We will talk about the Chiefs. We will talk about Mahomes. But, dude, how do you wake a guy up and fire him at 5 in the morning? Can you just let a brother sleep in? So disrespectful. I mean, I knew something was up with Jay Gruden when he was talking. Anytime you're talking about key cards after a loss, you know the inevitable is coming. Dan Snyder at least has to have to have the decency and respect as a human being to let you sleep till 8.30. You know you're going to fire the man whenever he wakes up, send him a casual text saying, hit me when you get up, and then you fire the man. I saw... I saw a tweet. It said, summon. Don't summon me at 5 o'clock in the morning. Don't do that. Don't don't summon me. It, it's got to be a, a, a dire emergency to be summoned at 5 a.m. <laughs> well, Carrington, speaking of dire emergencies, I just want to get your overall overarching thoughts on last night's game with the Chiefs and the Colts. I know it's not a dire emergency, but we'll, give me uh, give me your state of the Colts this morning. I'm, I'm sorry, state of the Chiefs address this morning. I think it's clear that the Chiefs were leaking a little bit of oil against the Lions. I think that Chiefs fans tried to talk themselves out of some of the problems that we saw against the Lions. And I think Mahomes basically said it, that the Lions showed a little bit of a formula on how you can defend and attack the Kansas City Chiefs and the Colts were just able to do it a little bit more effectively. I think we saw in the game against the Lions, if you can win the turnover battle against the Chiefs, you can absolutely run against the Chiefs. Marlon Mack had 26 carries in this football game, and if you can eliminate big plays, you can neutralize the Chiefs. And I think some of the injuries with the Chiefs have just neutralized their offense a little bit, that their offense just isn't as dynamic that if you're going to take away Damian Williams and make him not effectively, McCoy didn't have a carry in this game. No Tyree Kill. Shockingly, Sammy Watkins is hurt again. When you pluck this many things off the offense, it's hard to continue to score 30 against NFL defenses. And I think the defenses have figured out how to slow down this version of the Chiefs. I'm not saying they can slow down the Chiefs when they're fully healthy, but this current version of the Chiefs, whose number one wide receiver is Demarcus Robinson, you can stop that team. Yeah, you're going to need Tyree Kill to go uh, and beat that man uh, coverage that they're going to see moving forward. But your point is 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 the playbook. 45 carries, 180 Colts rushing yards, and that 5.3 yards per carry that the Chiefs defense is allowing, that is a stunning number. Is it personnel? Is there anything they can do to fix that in the short term? I mean, this was really a battle of the line of scrimmage. I hate to use that cliche, but that's really what it came down to. The line, or excuse me, the Colts carried the ball 45 times, as you alluded to, and the Chiefs ran the ball 14 times. I mean, that's the difference. The difference in this game was the line of scrimmage. Other than wait for the personnel to gel a little bit with this new scheme with Steve Spagnola, unless they go get another linebacker, I think part of the problem is just not having the athleticism at linebacker. You got to think this defense completely overhauled. I know people are saying the Chiefs defense stunk last year. They got eight new starters from the AFC championship games. I mean, they really turned over this defense. The fact that the run defense is maybe worse than it was last year is definitely cause for concern. And I think we saw last season, you can run the ball and be physical with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think we've seen that the last three weeks. When you go back to Baltimore, you go to Detroit, you go to the Colts. If you're committed to running the football, you can have a successful day against the Chiefs. 
So here's the next question. Obviously, Carrington, there was a bunch of injuries. I got back-to-back questions, I guess, for you. The first one is, what do we know? Like, what do we know about Chris Jones and Hitchens and even Mahomes' ankle and Sammy Watkins? On Mahomes' ankle, I don't think it's going to be that big of a concern. I was actually at the game yesterday, so I was at the post-game press conference. Mahomes walked in just fine, didn't have a brace. He seemed to say that everything, or at least give the sense that everything was going to be fine. With Sammy Watkins, who knows when it comes or what the what the status is going to be. Andy Reid has a press conference every Monday at noon. I think we'll get a pretty strong update, and probably Wednesday when they kind of get ready for the week against Houston, we'll get a little bit of an update. But I don't think we'll know anything definitively until today at noon when Andy Reid speaks. Noon Central. So then that being the case, Carrington, in your mind, which of those are the, are the biggest concerns? I know we'll get more details later, but which of those guys kind of in order can they least afford to lose? I'll even go back just a little bit to answer the question. I think the injury they miss most is Eric Fisher. I mean, they're playing Cam Irving right now on that offensive line. And I think yesterday Andy basically said, we don't think that we can protect our quarterback consistently. We don't trust our ability to run the football. And that what made one of their play calling decisions very odd. The Chiefs ran the ball 14 times. We've been talking about it. Why did they run the ball on the most important play of the game? They had fourth and one for midfield. If they didn't convert that, they were going to lose the game. It was very obvious. Why are you running the football? And that didn't make any sense, especially when you have the MVP of the NFL. To answer your original question, I would say Eric Fisher's injury is probably the one they missed the most. I'd probably say Chris Jones' injury. He's been their best defensive player. He wasn't in the second half. He was out with an ankle injury. I would say Anthony Hitchens. He's probably one of their better linebackers. And then I would just go Tyree Kill just because their offense can still be a little bit effective. I know we didn't see it yesterday. They can't have Hill and Sammy Watkins out. I think they need one of the two. I actually think that Tyree Kill comes back next week against Houston. I think he probably could have played this week if it was a playoff game. I think they wanted to give him that extra week. He's actually practiced with the team and then gone through warm-ups the last two weeks. I think, that, or I think Hill's going to play against Houston. That fourth and one, fourth quarter play call you just mentioned was a stunner. Uh, you suggested perhaps that's because of the offensive line. How do you not put the football in Patrick Mahomes' hands let him move around, quarterback sneak. What did it tell you potentially about that ankle? I was genuinely confused by it. Sometimes I think the football coaches like to outthink themselves. That's what I think that play call was. I know that all of us think in this Madden culture that we all could be offensive coordinators. Just do the say it out loud test. On the most important play of the game, the Chiefs decided to not let Patrick Mahomes make the decision. I understand maybe not wanting him to roll out because he can't do all those things physical, but Let's just let's get in shotgun. Let's make it a quick one read drop and let's do that. I don't know why you trusted on the most important play of the game. I don't know why you gave it to Damian Williams. That just it, it just it just defies logic and it defies the flow of the game. It would be one thing if the Chiefs offensive line was dominant and they were running the ball consistently the way the Colts were doing it. That's not how it was. The Chiefs abandoned the run early in that football game and then decided to go back to it on the most important play. Carrington, in terms of like the big picture and. AFC Championship game and Super Bowl and trying to get the number one seed and the Patriots. How concerned are you and how concerned do you think the Chiefs fans you talk to today will be? I would probably say, number one, I'd be concerned about the run defense 
because I think we saw, again, that you can run the ball effectively and efficiently against the Chiefs. And Patrick Mahomes can't score if he's not in the game. So I think that's I think we've seen what teams want to do and how they want to limit the Chiefs' offense. I would say that that's number one. I would say the injuries are number two. This team just got to get healthy. I think we see that, like anybody, Mahomes is human if you're going to take away all his parts. So yesterday, they had no running game, no left tackle, no Sammy Watkins, no Tyreek Hill. I'm not surprised that they scored less than 25 points. Ross, you played in this league, and you know, next man up only goes so far, and the Chiefs have really stretched the limits of next man up. At some point, to be an elite-level offense, you need elite-level players. They have two of them right now, Mahomes and Kelsey. In the five games they lost prior, though, I mean, this Kansas City Chief team averaged 40 points per game. It looks like this week another shootout. I don't think Houston has the personnel to try to grind out a a running type of attack like Indy. So that's going to be a fascinating game. But down the road, Denver, Green Bay, Minnesota, Tennessee, Chargers that easily could employ a similar type of, of at least strategy of playbook. I have to ask you about 11 penalties for 125 yards. Bad officiating or is Andy Reid need to get this team more disciplined? Two years ago, they finished top five in the NFL at penalties. Last year, they were first in the NFL in penalties. I don't understand it. The Chiefs are too well coached to be as undisciplined as they appear to be at times. That certainly was the case last year. So maybe you can say it's bad officiating, but when you led the NFL in penalties last year, it's just very difficult to give you the benefit of the doubt. All right, I thought Ross Tucker had another question. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Carrington Harrison, good to see you, my friend. Appreciate the time. Ross knew I was going to make fun of the Cowboys. That's why he didn't have another question. He knew I was going to call him out for his Cowboys. Because ever since he told me the Cowboys are better than the Chiefs, the Cowboys have not won a game. So, you know what's funny about that? Is I was tweeting yesterday about how Kellen Moore, you know, we crowned him a genius a little bit too early. Um, And all the Cowboys fans say I'm a Cowboys hater. So, it's funny. And when you said my Cowboys, I thought you meant first because I played for them. But no, you meant because I had them high in my power rankings. So, I think that's fair. I mean, I think now we've seen the real Cowboys the last couple weeks. That was a disgrace two weeks in a row. Absolutely. And then you actually had a really good tweet. I retweeted you yesterday about the Jacksonville Jaguars and Jalen Ramsey. I I don't know Jacksonville's strategy. I don't know their plan. It seems like a point of pride at this point for Jacksonville. If you say that you're not willing to trade somebody for five first-round picks, other than Patrick Mahomes, you should trade every player in the NFL for five first-round picks. No, that and that's and I know I know they're exaggerating and I know they would, but like people say stuff like that to be like, we wouldn't trade him for five first round picks. And then you think about it, you're like, okay, that's publicly admitting that you're a moron and you don't know what you're doing. Why would you do that? Why would you publicly make sure everybody knows you don't know what you're doing? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I can't explain Jacksonville. I don't know what they're doing. That's kind of been the case for I don't know, 15 years. Yeah, they're, they're get, getting nothing out of him now. All right, check out Carrington Harrison, Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. Good to see you, my friend. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.